I want to take a minute to, this morning to be able to talk about um, life, and in particularly the relation of life to sin and what sin does to life. Um, and so to be able to do that, Genesis chapter 2 um, Starting in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So you have Genesis chapter 2, after God's created everything, light and darkness, the world, the sea, the stars, um, plants, fish, birds, and living creatures, he creates man, and he makes them him out of dust and then breathes into him life and and this is the beginning of life um and something that i'm wanting to be able to keep in our mind throughout this is god is not only the life giver but he himself embodies what life is um and so you have further on in verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From the tree of from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So there was this one rule that God has given to man as he's in this, this garden in paradise. He says, do not eat from the tree in the center or you will surely die. Um, and so at this point, you have man and you have God and there is unity, there is harmony, there is peace um, between uh, these two. Um, until, and of course we all know the story, Satan comes into the picture uh, in chapter 3, verse 1. says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any of the trees, or any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the trees of, the, or from the fruit of the trees in the garden we may eat. But from the tree fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden god has said you shall not eat or you will die the serpent said to the woman you surely will not die for god knows that in the day that you eat it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good from evil um so you have satan coming into the picture and just adds this one simple word in there you will surely not die um satan is a liar this is a lie um but despite that Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. 
So he compelled them to disobey God and to do the one thing that God told them not to do. Um, and we all know the story from this point. This is the first sin. Um, and so what I want us to do is to kind of look into this and try to figure out and ask ourselves what, what happened after they ate this. What happened when this sinless relationship between man and God became a sinful relationship? Um, and so you have this relationship of man and God in the, in the garden in harmony. And what sin is, is it's a divide. It's a chasm that is built up. It's a wall between man and God. And we know from what, uh, from what God did when he created all things, God himself is life. He is life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. I was debating going off into Ezekiel in uh, the valley of dry bones and God and the wind coming and giving them life or uh, the room with the apostles being filled with, with the wind of, of God's spirit. Um, but God is life. And with sin dividing us from God, where does that leave us? But in death. And it leaves us in a very bad situation. And this is where every person finds themselves in, in death and in desperate need of help. And this is where God kind of just does something amazing and displays and steps in with his love and compassion and his mercy because we've ruined things. And he steps in and Jesus comes into the picture. And Jesus comes into the picture with this really incredible statement. It says, And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Wow. Okay, that's what we need to know. That's what we need to learn. Let's, let's dive into this a bit more and to be able to figure out who this Jesus is and how he can bridge us back to God. Um, I'd like to go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you don't mind. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, so Jesus, who is Jesus? He is someone who is equal with God. 
he held his place on the same level as God Almighty. He was equal. But you know what it says here? That he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to. But he let himself go. So you have here a pattern of Jesus being equal with God and letting that go. And then he just lowers himself and lowers himself and lowers himself again and again. And you just walk through this passage that he emptied himself of all of that and being in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of man. So you just think of what he had to sacrifice in order to just do that. That is incredible. That someone with equality, the same glory, same passion, same being as God, humbled himself to become a person. And then he does it again. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and obedient to the point of death on a cross. He just brings himself lower again and again and again in this. And I want to be able to to stress this point a little bit more by looking at this image of a cross. That death on a cross, it is not a fashion statement. It is not a, a helpful reminder. This is a tool of execution. Of execution in the most humiliating way possible, where they would beat you and strip you naked and put you up on a pole for everyone to see. He learned obedience to die on a cross. And we have some goofy images that I'm a very visual person, and so I like being able to see things in a visual way. Um, so you have Jesus as a person actually coming down as a human being, humbled himself to obey, to die on a cross, and be buried in the ground. Um... So you might think, okay, the story of a man that lived his life, died, and was buried, and if the story ended there, it would be no different than any other human that ever existed. But the story doesn't end there. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'm starting in verse 22. This is the, the day of Pentecost when the apostles were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues, and, and Peter gives his, his famous sermon here. Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And then my favorite little phrase in verse 24, But God, 
raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made him, or you have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you in regards to the patriarch David that both that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses." So the story didn't end there. God raised him up from the dead. Um, and you can, you can go back into history and learn about all of these, um, all of these things and, and proofs and, and uh, evidence for the resurrection. Um, and I've always known that that was really, really important. Um, and I'm, I'm, as I'm reading these things and I'm learning these things, um, it's becoming more and more evident to me of how important that is. That Jesus, at the end of all of this, God raised him up from the dead. I really can't stress enough, um, this is everything. That God raised Jesus from the dead, that is Everything. And it's also a pattern that we're able to see here. That Jesus lived, he died and was buried, and then he was resurrected. And this pattern is an example for us. Um, a common phrase that, that Jesus would say to his disciples was, follow me. Um, he said that quite a bit and, and would teach about that quite a bit. Um, and so I like to be able to look at what Jesus says about this. He makes another incredible statement in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked her, do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he says that anyone who believes and follows him will live. Um, go ahead and go back to Philippians and in chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 7. 
This is Paul was listing all of these accomplishments and says in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but sewage, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And pay attention to these next two verses. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So here we have this interesting pattern of conforming to Christ's life and his suffering and his death. And it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So we have this pattern. And then let's also look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, that's up on the board. In verse 8, says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this talks about if we are in Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to him. And how do we do that? We have this pattern, this example from Jesus of him living a life, him dying on a cross, being buried in the ground and being raised from the dead. Um, and that's exactly the pattern that, that we have. We have our lives that are, are sinful and broken. We are in death without God. And we have our example of putting ourselves to death and burying it in baptism in water and then raising up a new creation. And this happens at the, the beginning of every Christian's life. Um, many of us, we should all remember the day we were baptized. Um, that, that was a big moment for our salvation. Um, that, that is a, a turning point, and, the, and it is a beginning. Um, but then what? Has this, this lesson and this example of Christ um, stopped there? It does not. Um, now, for me, most of, most of this lesson has, has been fairly, fairly simple, really profound, but fairly simple. Um, and there's something more that I'm learning about the importance of this resurrection. Um, and so if you've been dozing off to this point, pay attention at this point on. Um, this is incredibly important. This next part is incredibly important. Please pay attention. Muy importante. 
in Luke chapter 9, Jesus makes this statement, and we're all pretty familiar with it. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and he says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So if you're wanting to come after Jesus, to follow Jesus, there's a must-do situation here. There's a stipulation and a condition to this. And that is he has to deny himself and take up your cross. And once again, we have a lot of misconstrued ideas of what this cross means. It is not a burden of what you have to do. This is a tool of murder. This is a tool to kill someone. And Jesus says to take up your cross daily and to follow him. That is what a Christian must do if you're wanting to follow after Jesus. Now there's a word in there that I'm really interested in in hitting on and I'd I'd like to be able to to think about this for a minute. Is that it says to take up your cross daily and follow me. Salvation is not a one-time thing. Salvation is a daily thing. What Jesus says here is that if you want to follow him, you must deny yourself, take up your cross every day, and follow. Now back to this image. It is our job to die to ourselves, to our wants, our desires, our individual wants, every single day. That is your job to put yourself on that cross and in the ground. Every single day. And that comes with a promise that God's going to do something too. His job is to raise you up again. And this is something that's really important. He gives you a new life. As sure as God raised Christ from the dead, and he did, he will raise you up with a new life. And it is because Christ rose from the dead that we can have this new life. This new life is something that is fundamentally important. And I'm ashamed to say I've only recently learned of this. And that's why I'm so eager to be able to to talk to you about it this morning. This new life 
Every single day that is given to a Christian is everything. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now I'm going to start in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they would, or they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And the old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So now, this relationship that we have with God because of this sin that separates and divides us from God and life, it has now been torn down, broken completely, and Christ is the bridge. Christ is everything to be able to bring life back to us. And I can't, I can't bring myself to talk about this without talking about 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, starting verse 52, says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal shall put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This resurrection that I'm talking about, I used to know that it was important but I never really understood why or how important it was. Because I lived my life trying to just be like, okay, well, I'm excited for when I can get my resurrection, when I can get my new, new life. 
But the resurrection to a Christian means, means two things that I really want to make sure we're able to, to come away from this lesson with. It means that it is a daily, God-supplied power, a much-needed power to equip the child of God facing daily trials. The resurrection means that you're able to live a new life today, that you're no longer living in separation from God, in separation from life, you now have your own life that you're living for Christ. And number two, it is an eternal hope. It is a fuel that, that drives us through the trials and the burdens of every day. Life is challenging. Life has a lot of hard things that it throws on you. And it is because of the resurrection of Christ that we're able to have a hope of a life without sin, a life without death. It is a life unified with God where we're able to walk with God again. So I hope these things are encouraging for you. Um, it was definitely helpful for me to be able to think about these things in how the resurrection and this new life means uh, everything to a Christian on a daily life. Um, and I hope this will be encouraging for you um, as you think about these things and, and meditate on it later. Um, if there's any needs from anyone here, um, this would be an appropriate time to come and, and make those needs known as we stand and sing the song.